Well, good morning, Sunridge. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, my name is Danny Sugimoto. I serve as the middle school pastor here at Sunridge. And as you can tell by our skinny jeans and uh, the number of people we've had on stage, this is, in fact, Youth Sunday. Uh, so thank you for being here. Uh, we have a great, great morning uh, prepared for you. Uh, but before we continue, uh, we are not Brit, obviously. Uh, none of us have been, ever were, or ever will be firefighters. Uh, so you don't have to worry about any of that. Uh, but before we continue our morning, let's just go around and introduce ourselves. This is actually our entire family ministries team. So uh, take us away. My name is Teddy and I am the youth associate. I'm Haley and I'm the children's minister. I am Megan. I am the children's ministry associate. And I'm Mojo and I'm the high school pastor. Yeah and so when Britt invited us to be a part of this morning, this youth Sunday, uh, we wanted to make sure that we had an opportunity uh, to just remind you that like we're so proud to be here. We're so proud to serve you. Uh, it is an honor and a privilege to serve your families and to serve your students. Uh, and as part of that, we wanted to make sure that with our whole team being up here, that the things that we share aren't just applicable to a middle school student or a fifth grader or a high school student. We wanted to work really hard to make sure that the things that we share this morning are actually applicable to almost every person in this room. And so what that meant is it meant a lot of putting our heads together because we were invited to be a part of this tenacious love series that we've been in. And tenacious love is, is this type of love that, that holds on when you really feel like you want to let go. It's a type of love that chooses to reach out when you'd rather maybe isolate yourself or just pull back a little bit. Tenacious love goes out of its way for the other person. And so we worked, again, really hard to try and fit what we were thinking about saying into this series. And part of that meant lots of uh, different meetings and lots of things uh, of planning and getting things ready. And part of the things that we had to plan uh, was the fact that one of us is 39 weeks pregnant. Uh, and it's actually me. Thank you. Uh, I've been working on my bond me baby. Uh, his name is, is Hedger. Uh, it's a weird name, I know. Uh, but no, <laughs> Haley's actually 30, 39 weeks pregnant. Uh, and part of our planning was like, well, you're 39 weeks pregnant. That's very, very close to the end. Uh, what, what do we do? What if you're not here? What do we do if, if baby Nora decides to say, like, hey, world, how's it going? I'm ready to come out now. Uh, and so part of it, of our planning was how do we work through this? And so in the event that Haley chooses, chooses, is forced to, really, go into labor, uh, we have a plan in place. We have a, a thing ready to do. Please don't rush the stage. Don't, like, freak out and be like, oh, my gosh, and then, like, come up here, and then there's 50 people up here. We have a plan in place. Don't worry about it. Some of our staff members actually have been praying for this to happen, uh, for Haley to go into labor on stage. Uh, and so if you're one of those staff people, Heather Fretz, um, please stop. Uh, don't make that prayer just yet. We want, we want Haley to be a part of this morning uh, because we're, we're so excited. And so going back to planning. Working on a message with one person is super difficult. It's strenuous, it's hard, you want to make sure that your words are chosen specifically and carefully, but then you add in four other voices, and it's extremely difficult. And so we spent many Wednesday mornings sitting in the Walker classroom, because that way my son Theo could play while we had him like a serious meeting. We worked through what it was going to look like to be a family ministries team on stage, to share content, to share teaching from scripture that was applicable to everybody across all of our different age gaps. And what we ended up coming with is we had this idea that we wanted to talk about what it looks like when you love somebody, but when that love is, is almost, almost too much. Not you can ever really love someone too much, but the idea that when you love someone to the point where the things that you're doing actually end up hurting more than they do helping. And I've been watching this show with my wife. It's called The Goldbergs. Uh, it was on ABC. I watch it on Hulu now because I'm late to the game. And the Goldbergs is set in the 80s, and it's about this family that, like, loves their kids. And the mom, her name is Beverly. And Beverly Goldberg would do anything for her children. 
Her children are the apple of her eye. They're perfect. She wears the mom goggles all the time. To the point that when her son Adam starts to fail Spanish, rather than working really hard to get Adam's grade up, rather than hiring a tutor to help him, to come alongside of him, to coach him through Spanish, she gives the teacher $50 every time he takes a test and says, yeah, just make sure he gets the right answers. That's the kind of love that we want to be addressing this morning, this love that actually ends up hurting more than it does helping. And what prompted this whole morning was we're sitting in this meeting. Theo is playing in the Walker classroom. It's crazy. He's making noises. He's throwing stuff. He's giggling. He's going down the slide. And we're talking, man, like, what's it going to look like? How are we going to teach this thing? What are we going to do? And then Teddy was actually prompted to share this story with us. And when she shared this story, this whole time we're talking about helping rather than hurting, or hurting rather than helping and, and getting involved and all this stuff. And she shares this story with us. And after she shares the story, uh, most of our family ministry team, but definitely me and Mojo, probably only us, I had, I had rage goggles on, uh, we got really upset about what had happened in the story. We were super mad. We were like, ah! Like, I came out, I went into Hulk mode, which isn't, that's not a thing. Uh, but I was just like super angry for her. And we realized in that moment, that we were doing the exact thing that we were hoping to teach all of us to not do. And so as we continue our morning, we're just going to start with Teddy. Teddy, do you want to share us a few details from that story? Yes, I would love to, Danny. Yeah, so um, we were just sitting there chatting, and I was telling them this story about how one time over my course of ministry, someone had made a comment to me sarcastically about my role because I was a female in ministry. And unfortunately, that was not the first time that comment had been made. And so um, I was explaining to them kind of as a filler as we were sitting there trying to decide what we were going to talk about this morning and saying, well, sometimes people, they don't mean to cause pain or discomfort, but they do. And like their words can be very hurtful. And so as soon as I finished my story, like Danny said, Danny and Mojo were like, are you kidding me? Who said that? And then they started going off saying that's not okay and that if they were there, they would have had some serious words with that person. And they were, <laughs> they were narrating my worst case scenario. Like there's a reason I didn't say that. And while there are many people, people who do need someone to be their voice in a situation, I felt perfectly comfortable, capable, and confident in having that conversation myself. And had I asked them um, to kind of like confront this person, I would have been robbed of the joy that came from that conversation later where I was able to go and talk to the person the next day and have further conversation about the comment that they had made. Um, and I really would have missed out on that. And while Danny and Mojo were solely reacting out of a place of caring for me and protecting me, that is the complete opposite of how I feel loved. And we realized that this interaction with Mojo, Danny, and I as we were planning for this, this was the exact thing we were trying to articulate, that often we think we know how to love someone the best, and we take that idea and we run with it, with the best of intentions, but more often than not, we don't stop and ask how they would best feel loved. Um, last week, Britt talked to us about what it means to love our neighbors well, and he gave us a bunch of ways that scripture invites us to love our neighbors with a tenacious love, and it got us thinking that sometimes we are really great at loving our neighbors, like we're fantastic at it, but we do it in a way that we feel is best, and again, we don't stop and take that moment to ask them about how they would best feel loved. And so that's what we kind of wanted to unpack today, and it brought us back to this scripture that this idea of tenacious love that it's revolved around the last few weeks, and that's John 15, 12. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Thank you for sharing your story, Ted. 
So John 15, 12, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. It's easy, right? No? Oh, okay, yeah. No, it is so not. And um, truly, how many of us have somebody that we love so much and that we have loved with such tenacity? Or maybe, rather, we thought we were loving them tenaciously thought that we were doing just as Jesus commanded in uh, John 15, 12, thought that we were loving them just as Jesus loved us, sacrificially, unrelentingly, painstakingly loving them. And I'm pretty sure that all of us can say that at some point we've been in that space. And I don't know about you, but I know that when I've been in that place before, when I love somebody so much, I know them so well, sometimes I think that I know... um, what's best for them, and that I know what's best for them even better than they do. And there's something that I miss in interactions like those ones. No matter how close I am to the people around me, um, I'm not God. And so I cannot know for certain what my husband, my sister, my best friend, the people I work with, I can't know what they need unless they let me know, unless I ask. And that's because I'm not God. I just don't know. And so here's the crazy part. God knows, right? God knows all of our needs. He knows all of our hurts. He knows all of our struggles. And so Jesus, being fully God, knew exactly what all the people around him needed when he was walking the earth in physical form. And yet, he still stopped to ask what people needed. And so um, I'd like to turn our attention to Mark 10, and we see Jesus and his disciples traveling. And when they reach the city of Jericho, they come across this uh, blind beggar along the side of the road whose name was Bartimaeus. And in verses 47 through um, 52, Mark puts it this way. When he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? So the blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and followed him along the way. And a few things happen here that I just want to point out to you guys. First, Bartimaeus knew that Jesus could help him and address the need that he had. He knew who Jesus was, and he knew what he was capable of. He knew that he was the man for the job. The next thing that happened was that Bartimaeus asked for help. He verbalized his need. He said, he called out to Jesus saying, "Um, son of David, have mercy on me. He called out for help and asked. Third, Jesus asked Bartimaeus what he could do for him. Even though he already knew, he said, what do you want me to do for you? And then finally, Jesus addressed Bartimaeus's need because he could, he was capable of doing that. And I want to contrast that to what we sometimes have the tendency to do out of love for the people around us. 
The first thing we do is that we assume that there is a need. We see a flaw or a helplessness or a hurt in somebody, and um, because we love them so much, um, we assume that that need or that flaw or that thing um, accompanies, sorry, that that, that that flaw accompanies a need, right? So that they need something because they're missing something. In, in Teddy's story, Mojo and Danny wanted to jump in and save the day because they saw that their friend was hurt. She was in a vulnerable place. And they saw relational, interpersonal strife. And if they, have, they had been there, they would have assumed that Teddy would have needed them to swoop in and step in and um, save the day and speak up for her. And I want to highlight that we, we also have a tendency to swoop in and try and save the day when we see a person we love struggling with something internal, too. It doesn't just have to be in conflict. Um, for example, if we think or see that somebody's like an indecisive person, we might look at that and say, oh, man, they, they must need help making that decision. Um, here, this is the best decision. Rather than thinking what they might need is just somebody to bounce ideas off of and let them process through and trust their gut and, and make that decision for themselves. The second thing that we do is we assume that no one else can address that need but us. And I'm gonna say this next sentence very sarcastically, okay? So we confidently recognize that it's our duty to jump in because there is no one else for the job. There's no one else that can address that need but us. And I just want to add here that everybody needs help. We all need help. But so often we jump into that situation without being asked because we think that we're the person for the job. There's nobody else that can do it for us uh, but us. Third, we do uh, what we assume will fix or address that need because we think we're the person for the job. We assert our expertise because we are the holder of all knowledge and wisdom. Sarcasm is still happening here. Um, and we think that we've mastered the thing that we see somebody else struggling with. If we've gone through something similar, in an effort to relate, we jump in because um, we think we have all the answers that will fix their problem. And I have a very real, very recent example um, that I'd like to share with you all, if that's okay. And for some reason, um, it tends to happen the more um, like pregnant I am and the bigger my belly is. Um, people that love me so much, my sweet, sweet family, um, both men and women, have wanted to jump in and help me cope with either feeling really uncomfortable physically or um, processing through the upcoming impending labor that will be happening soon. Um, and while I appreciate their sentiment and wanting to help and be helpful, I find that it's really strange is that all the, the things that they talk to me about are these stories um, that are really, really terrifying <laughs> and awful. And unfortunately, um, in an effort to relate to me and truly help me, they are um, really telling the most horrifying stories I've ever heard. Um, and here's the thing. In those moments, I really do know from the bottom of my heart that they're not trying to do that. They really are trying to love and support me um, because they're trying to speak out of a place that they have been before. But I end up walking away from those conversations more discouraged and anxious uh, than I do feeling encouraged and uplifted and loved and safe. 
in those times. And so um, that leads me to my next point. We end up, um, sorry, we risk ending up doing more harm than good sometimes in our um, effort to love people. We end up doing more harm than good. And I'm going to hold off on unpacking that in a minute so that Megan can. Um, but yeah, I just want to close my, my piece by saying, in our love for others, and because um, we think we know them so well, and because we want what's best for them, and we see them struggling, or we see them hurt, or we see somebody hurt them, sometimes in our tenacity, our loving instincts kick in. And so when you look, look up that word tenaciousness or tenacity in the dictionary, sorry, the thesaurus, there are all kinds of great phrases and um, synonyms like staying power, dedicated, intent, um, unwaveringly, uh, unwavering. But interestingly, you'll also see words like hard-headed, stubborn, obstinate, and inflexible. And unfortunately, we seriously run the risk of exemplifying that latter list when we don't stop and look at a person and ask, how are you? Is there something that I can help you with? What is it that you need? And so we think that we know better. But in the end, the person that we love and our relationship with them is no better. <laughs> Thanks, Haley. So going back to what Haley just said, we think we know better. But in the end, the person is no better. When we feel that we know what is best for a person, we can unintentionally actually inhibit them from growth. Although it is out of deep love for them, trying to fix them or their problems might not be what's actually healthiest for them. So what do I mean by that? Uh, the first thing is we can inhibit reconciliation. If we see someone that we love being hurt by someone else, we can either have one of two responses. We can either want to just scoop up this person and shield them from pain and hurt, to shield them from this person, or we can want to fight somebody. So this is something that really resonates with me. Um, when I see someone who is messing with someone I love, who is hurting them, I get super angry. I just like, you know when you feel it inside, you're just like angry? But when you make a Latina angry, it is game on. It's game on. But this can actually get in the way of letting them process what they're feeling. This, the person that is being hurt, this can shield them, but get in the way of them actually processing, wow, this hurt me. This is what I need to heal. It can also inhibit them from letting them stand up for themselves. We can take away their voice to be able to tell the other person, hey, this hurt me. Hey, and just, yeah, being able to stand up for themselves. And it can stand in the way of a conversation that creates reconciliation and growth between both individuals. But God desires reconciliation. God loves us so much that he desires reconciliation with us. He does this by sending Jesus. We see throughout the whole Bible, in the very beginning, sin separated us from God, but he did not want that. He loves us so much, and we are so valuable to him that he sent his own son to die like a crazy death, a crazy death, so that we can be with him, so that he can spend time with us, that he can spend eternity with us. 
but now he calls us to be part of that reconciliation. He set the biggest example of reconciliation and calls us to be part of that. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21, Therefore, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting um, to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, circling back to Teddy's story, um, we see that out of deep love for her, Danny and Mojo were like really upset. We, when we were all sitting and talking about this um, in baby chairs in the walker room, they were both just like, what? Like you could just see the like anger on their face of like, how dare someone treat you like this? How dare they hurt you? But if they stepped in to protect her, in this moment, if they were there and if they stepped in to protect her, this would have inhibited growth and reconciliation between both individuals in the actual conflict. Because Teddy was able to communicate her feelings and reconcile with the other person, they now have a deeper friendship and now she has that dignity of being able to stand up for herself in a healthy way. So that leads us to point number two. We can unintentionally take away a person's dignity. If we insert ourselves and think that we know what's best for them, we can take away the opportunity for someone to look inside themselves, to truly process, to truly think, wow, what is it that hurt me? What do I need? What can I do to be able to heal this hurt? Especially, like how Haley was saying, if we've been through that situation before, um, so her family that has been through childbirth, um, we want to be able to assert like our solution. We want to be able to be like, hey, this was an issue. We went through the same thing, and this is what worked for us. This is what resolved the issue. But the bummer thing is, is what worked for you doesn't necessarily work for every individual. When we love someone, we want to be able to control the situation and fix it. So we try to assert what works for us. But not every person is the same, and not every situation is the same. That doesn't mean that we can't empathize with people. That doesn't mean we can't like share our experiences. It doesn't mean that we have to let them face the issues alone or to face life alone, because life is hard. We just need to realize that loving them through these situations doesn't mean jumping in to fix their situation. Not every conflict has a cookie-cutter way of resolving it. I don't know if anyone has heard of the Enneagram test. It is a test that has been gaining popularity lately, but it is a test that analyzes how your personality um, relate in social situations. 
So if you hear people say like, I'm a two or I'm a four or I'm a nine, um, this is a personality type and how you interact with different people. So I am an Enneagram two. Um, and if you aren't familiar with this, this is categorized as the helper. Um, and they go on to describe them as people that will do anything and everything they can to love and help other people. So, as an Enneagram 2, I definitely know the struggle of wanting to help someone you love. I totally feel that my purpose in life is to help people. And if I'm not doing that, I'm like wasting my life. I get so antsy and I'm like, I just need to fix things and fix people. So it's so easy for me when someone's coming to me with an issue to just be like, okay, what can I do? Let me fix you, let me fix it. Let me like talk to the other person, let me do this. Like, let me put this together. So this is something I totally struggle with too. Dr. Ian Cron, he actually is someone who made an Enneagram test and we actually got to hear him speak a few months ago um, at a conference called Catalyst. Um, he also wrote, um, so it's a book called Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey of Self-Discovery. It's a great book, but he describes an Enneagram 2 as this. If your neighbor's dog dies, the Enneagram 2 will show up to your door with a new dog. They won't, yes, they won't come and say, hey, I am so sorry this happened. Hey, what can I do to help? What can I do to love you best? They just show up with their solution and it's like, here you go, this should work for you. But how empowering is it when you think about things that you go through and when you're able to process things and to understand what is hurting you and what you need to heal, when you contribute to that healing, that is so empowering. That doesn't mean we want to do life alone. That doesn't mean we don't want people to do it with. But typically, we just want people to listen to us listen to us vent, listen to us process, and be there along the way to say, like, you can do it. You are so strong. You can do this. You are so loved. You are so valuable. You can do this. And the cool thing is, is that we can actually be those people for other people. We can do that for others. We can be the ones to use our relationships to tell people, you are so strong. You are so loved. You are so valued. And although you are hurt, you are so more than capable. You are so more than capable of finding healing, to reconcile, to find reconciliation. We can use our relationship to point them back to Christ, to point them to healing in a healthy way. So we can't take away the hurt from someone, which is a bummer, but we can always empower them towards healing. So how do we do this? First thing is by listening, by listening to them. And what does this mean to listen? Listening means being present, being there with them in this moment, listening to what they have to say without jumping, to, like jumping ahead to find a solution, accepting the stage that they're in without trying to automatically jump in and try and fix it. Sometimes, a lot of times, when people are processing or verbally processing, that's what they're doing. Sometimes they just need someone to listen to them. Listen, saying, this was what happened, this was hard, this hurt me. Sometimes they just need someone to listen and help them figure out what's going on and what they need. 
Another thing we can do is being empathetic. Empathy is described as showing an ability to understand and share the feelings of one another. We can empathize with someone's situation without needing to fix it. Whether or not you can relate to their situation, we can always empathize with them and say, I am sorry. Man, I'm sorry. That really sucks. What you're going through is really hard. What can I do to help? But what if someone doesn't know what they need? We need to be able to listen and accept that. Listening to them creates such a safe space and builds a safe relationship. As an Enneagram 2, this is so hard for me because I need to know exactly what I need to do to fix the situation, what exactly what I need to do to help. And it's so hard when the other person doesn't even know yet. I'm just like, like, let me just fix it for you. But um, what we can do to help them heal is just to sit there and listen to them and help them process. Doing them, doing it, being able to just sit there and accept where they are will make them feel safe enough to come to you when they have processed, when they have looked inside themselves and know what they need. And this may take like days or months, but they will know that you are safe to be able to come to and share with. Another thing we can do is asking the question. We don't know what we don't know. Even if we know the person so well, we don't know. We need to be able to ask what they need and how to be able to support them best. We just, when we assume that we know them so well, we can actually unintentionally hurt them. We need to be able to ask, what do you need? What can I do to help? How can I best love and support you? And if they just say, sit with me, then we sit. But doing this, we need to invest time to be able to create these situations. We need to be able to invest time to create an opportunity to ask these questions. If we're so busy through life, going, 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 um, it's so easy just to say someone, see someone and be like, hey, what's up? Like, how are you? I'm good. Okay, bye. Um, but we need to be able to have that space, that safe space to invest in people and to sit and to have an opportunity to ask them these questions. We need to be able to have that space to encourage them, to tell them how much they are loved, how much they are supported, how capable they are, how strong they are. There's so much hurt out in the world, and there's so much hurt even in here, and we need to be able to invest so that we can love each other best because that's what Christ calls us to do. He calls us to love each other, to ask these questions, to ask people around how they are doing, how we can love them, and how we can best point them back to him. So as we come to a close, it might be appropriate to ask the question, where do we go from here? How do we wrap this message up? <clears throat> and a very like typical or maybe expected point could be, well, think about all the people that you love and all the people that you know the best, that you know better than the back of your hand, and go back and redo those conversations or apologize and like love them the right, you know, the right or wrong, you know, this or that, and, and go do, 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 fix, fix, fix what we've already tried to fix. 
But if that's the way we send you out, and if that's the starting point, then perhaps what we're doing is just perpetuating the thing we're trying to avoid, the thing that we're trying to shy away from. And so if we back up, and if our starting point is one where we evaluate and look and reflect and receive the love in relationship with God, in his relationship with us, that we might love differently when we are with those we love the most when we are with them. Think about the nature of our relationship with God. While many times we can fall into a transactional base, like, God, I need this prayer, or God, I need, I need help, or please do this. I would just love if this was the stage of my life right now. This is what I need. And those prayers are absolutely real, and there's a space for that. Many times, what we find offered to us when we offer those prayers up or when we journal those emotions through the peaks and the valleys of our lives is God's presence. That rather than snapping his fingers and saying, well, Mojo, here's a solution. If you follow this 12-step program to become holy and become a better pastor, you shall achieve your goal. He sits with us and offers his presence to us. God knowing all things, being all powerful and being all capable chooses to sit in relationship with people like you and with me and isn't quick to speak and say, well, dude, if you just read the Bible and here's the solution, here's the solution, why aren't you reading this verse? Duh, what is wrong with you? It's not condemnation and guilt and it's not just quick solutions that pacify the, the moment, but it's God asking those questions of how are you doing? What's going on? How can we walk through this together? And perhaps the, the love that we are meant to experience isn't in the solution, isn't in this programmatic fix that, that allows healing to be expunged from our lives, but perhaps the love that we are meant to feel or that we get to feel is in that moment or in the times where we sit with the Lord Sit with each other and experience God. And the hope is that as we do that with God, as we look and we see how he loves us, we would better love the people around us. I mean, I, there have been so many years and journal entries and prayers and like processing moments with friends where I realize the lesson I'm still learning is patience. The lesson I'm still learning is pride. I cannot get over those things, and my ego is way too big sometimes to see that this is the lesson I have yet to continue to look at. But God, in his grace to me, in his grace to us, sits with us, processes those moments with us, and then continues to show us his love in his presence. If we look at life and look at people, not as problems to be fixed, but as a relationship to discover, perhaps we can more accurately reflect the love of God to those around us. Because quite frankly, sometimes a more accurate reading of John chapter 15 verse 12 is, I love people as I see fit, and I receive love from God as I see fit, and I give that love the way I choose to give love. But friends, the verse says to love others as God has loved us. And so if we start, if our starting point begins with God's love for us and the way he engages in relationship with us, hopefully we can then engage with the world around us in a more meaningful, more authentic, and more real way. 
I, for one, am thankful because Megan has been giving me a dachshund puppy for the last 10 weeks, every week, and I'm like, Megan, I don't need more dogs, okay? So on Monday, I don't need a dachshund puppy, thank you. But in that, perhaps what the world would say, this is longer, this takes more time, this is more investment than you have to afford. Maybe that is the way. We experience love with the Lord and we can experience love with each other. Let me pray for us. Dear Jesus, thank you for...